everybody welcome back to tales from the tavern i hope everyone here is doing well um sorry we're a little late we had some tech gremlins uh i lost my internet for a few minutes and then ryan lost his audio for a few minutes and it's been fun but uh you know as as uh, jason said in the chat that's how you know it's a stream is when the tech gremlins are on board you know everybody's here so it's all good um welcome back welcome to uh the second monthly version of tales from the tavern we're excited to be back and be here as you can see the tavern has gotten a new look um so that's very exciting uh, so we've got a whole new whole new window courtesy of uh lot evenstar aka uh, Ty Burris, um, so he he redid that for us uh, this past week, so that was very nice. And um, we've got a great group of guests here with us tonight, so I am going to uh, let everyone introduce themselves, tell a little about who they are and where you can find them on social media and anything they've got going on or want to share or anything like that. So uh, Run DMG, also known as Ryan, we're going to start with you. Tell us about yourself. Oh no, yourself. I was, uh, <laughs> I'm not prepared. Uh, hi, I'm Ryan. Uh, you can also go by Run DMG. I have a podcast called Dice Populi, and then I decided to I decided to start posting all the memes that I make for Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop RPGs on TikTok, and it kind of blew up. I also post on Instagram, and I do the odd uh, occasional like DM help guide thing. Um, just hot off of doing a fundraiser for the Trevor Project, uh, we raised over twenty two hundred dollars. I can't remember the I have to check the exact that's uh, the thing for today. Uh, but it was, it was a huge success, so I'm really happy to be here. And uh, I've, I I think this might be my fifth time on wow. the program. Wow, are we up to that many? Four, wow. Fourth or fifth? Yeah. I think so. Um, so I'm, I'm just happy to be back and happy that this show is back on the air. Yeah, happy to have you. Welcome, welcome. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize it had been that many times, but in retrospect, yeah, it probably has been. <laughs> been a few, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and congrats on the fundraiser. That's fantastic. Um, for anyone who didn't know, Ryan was doing a fundraiser for the Trevor Project, um, which uh, is a fantastic organization. If you're not familiar with them, highly suggest you give them a look. Um, they do uh, suicide prevention work and mm -hmm. um, really, really important stuff that they do. So definitely check yeah, them great. out. They're amazing charities. Yeah, so they highly really are. Recommend supporting them. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, next, we will go uh, both to Tom and Bodie, a.k.a. Homie and the Dude. Welcome. Thank you for coming uh, all the way from across the sea. <laughs> of course. It's our absolute pleasure. Thank you for having us back. We, uh, we really appreciate you, Luna. And guys, thanks for, thanks for uh, allowing us to come and chat with y'all as well. We, we appreciate all the rest of you guys here with us as well. Should we split this up? Yeah, Junior. Yeah, I'll, I'll just do a quick intro of myself, and then you can give, you can give the old Homie and the Dude spiel. Go for it. Um, so I'm, I'm Tom. I am the father, and probably I guess I am the more senile version of uh, of the homie and the dude partnership. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I am uh, mostly focused on the behind the scenes marketing and logistics part of the team, and I get in front of the camera here and there. Uh, I'm Bodie. I'm the sun half, as you could probably tell by my beauty um, <laughs> and lack of wrinkles compared to him. Um, I... give, give it time. Yeah, give, give it time. It time. <laughs> um, uh, so we're Homie and the Dude, Father and Son, TTRPG, and MMA Team. If you enjoy any of those two things, please come check us out. At the moment, we're hoping to bring you guys uh, kind of what is our love song to the TTRPG community after, you know, you guys gave us amazing games. We're trying to give you guys something back with a Kickstarter we're releasing called Sky Zephyrs. 
Um, it's going to bring brand new rules for vehicle combat and movement in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Uh, hopefully taking it to a whole new level and, uh, and it forever changing it is our, our hope. Um, with that as well, we'll be bringing out our custom uh, vehicle builder application where you will be able to, with a couple of clicks, generate your very own vehicles um, for Dungeons & Dragons 5th editions from customizable parts and things like that. So. Um, if any of that kind of interests you, we'd appreciate you guys checking that out. But otherwise, yeah, just, uh, just super stoked to be here with you guys. And, uh, oh, it will be covering airships, space, and naval. I just wanted to drop nice. that last bit in there. That's very cool. I uh, I know on top of Ryan's being a, a, an ocean-themed, nautical-themed podcast, I know of a few others that do similar. So I'm sure mm. that uh, it would be very cool for, for all those people that, that want it. Um, next, we have uh, joining us for the first time, Jacob, who is with uh, Accessible Games. Jacob, tell us a little about you. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Um, like I said, my name is Jacob Wood. I'm from Accessible Games. Um, I'm probably best known for games Cypunk and Survival of the Able, and for Accessible Gaming Quarterly, which is a quarterly zine that we publish um, about accessibility and disabilities in the tabletop space. I'm also currently working with um, Dale from Wormworks Publishing on um, doing some stuff for Limitless Quest, which is an upcoming um, adventure series that he's doing for his Limitless Heroics and Limitless Champions line of 5e products. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Very excited to have you on and, and learn a little more about what you do. And then uh, last but definitely not least, we have uh, Andrew Kolb joining us. Uh, Andrew, tell us a little about yourself. <laughs> Hi. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm Andrew Kolb. Um, I mean, most of the time I'm an illustrator and an author, but I guess why I'm here tonight is because I, some of that authoring and illustrating has been for a couple of books. Oh yeah. Perfect. I was going to hold mine up too, but I did. I've done two books so far. So uh, based one based on Neverland and then the second based on Oz and currently working on a third. So hopefully that will come together, but um public domain uh, settings for 5e but also i think somewhat system agnostic for other settings as well or that at least that's my hope like if i hear someday that someone is running blades in the dark in oz then that's my that's my dream but until then i'm, happy, <laughs> I love I'm, that. I'm content with i'm content with uh 5e but that's that's me i'm i'm not gonna lie so uh um my significant other and I are, are toying with the idea of playing Oz with uh, Blades in the Dark. So, <laughs> and I may have also, awesome. they, yeah, they and I may have also been talking about that. Yeah, you, you uh, may have put I the made, idea like, out there to him. To that and... <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to manifest my dreams coming true. That's all. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you ever want to like sit in with us for a session you know <laughs> that'd be my dream truly my dream <laughs> um yeah if uh if if you haven't had the chance to do that um yet andrew also did an interview for the website shadowmain.com uh s-h-a-d-o-m-a-i-n um where jason uh had the opportunity to interview andrew a little more one-on-one -on -one, um and and uh andrew got to share some some of that you know those fun little tidbits so uh, so check that out if you get the chance. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much all for being here. Um, so to the way the stream works, if you have not been here before, um, which I don't think there's many of you, but just in case, uh, everything that we ask uh, comes from questions that you guys uh, you guys ask in chat. So 
Um, please feel free to drop your questions for any of our guests here in the chat. Um, I've got a moderator that's hanging out who will make sure that uh, we get all of the all of the questions seen, and we will um, give everybody the the opportunity to to talk about it and you know bat some of that stuff around. So. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, also, to all of our guests, if you have questions for each other, you know, by all means, in the green room, we were already, like, having all kinds of conversations, like, we want to pick your brain about this and that and the other thing. So, um, <laughs> my moderator's like, I'm just a moderator? What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, hopefully everybody can still hear me because I can see that my camera is frozen, <laughs> but I don't really know why. <laughs> um, but it is. So... Here we go. You know, it'll be fun. All right. I'm going to start off with uh, my favorite icebreaker question for all of you. Um, so if you've been here before, you may have answered this, but that's okay. So when you are playing uh, at um, a physical table with actual physical dice in your hands, do your dice have to match? Hmm. That's a hard... That's... I mean... I mean... Uh, I'll, I'll jump in and just say, um, when as as a GM or DM. Oh no. Looking at the, uh, yeah, I think it did went down. It did, and now I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's all over the place now. Though. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll fix this. You guys talk. I'll fix it. <laughs> It'll so, be fine. Yeah. So, uh, matching dice. Wait, wait. Well, do, do, you want, do you want me to say it now or do you want me to wait till we're. No, no. By all means, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, no. As, as a GM and as a DM, I'm sure you guys know this. Uh, to, to murder players, you got to have lots of dice. And it's very hard. Unless you're buying one set of dice. That old match, you're you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna need multiple sets of dice. Oh, I see. So if you're rolling like, uh, yeah, like, like seventeen d whatever, you go. Yeah. There's no way you're gonna have uh, the so, same dice. So you're saying there's a there's a practical consideration, which yeah. is if I have multiple need of like one particular like d6 or d10 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Then I'm gonna have to pull from all those. Exactly. But but well, okay. So here's the. Let's take it to another level. If there isn't the practical need, would you just reach for another one of the same yeah two of the same let's say you're playing a d6 game and you're you're rolling like uh either pairs of d6s or three d6s at a time do they have to all do all those d6s have to match? i like it different i like it different well what about you guys what are you guys saying yeah so <clears throat> i'm legally blind so matching dice doesn't really matter to me um <laughs> when i that's grab fair. uh that's fair uh, my app you know that'll roll whatever random number i want it to and uh mm. Oftentimes, I'll use fudge dice if I'm rolling uh, physical dice. Um, I would play a lot of fudge or fate, and those are very tactile. Um, but I could care less what color they are. I've got fistfuls of them, and uh, as long as I can, I can feel what I'm like, feel what I'm rolling. Doesn't matter to me. So I have a follow-up, Jacob. Uh, sure. You mentioned the tactile part of it. Do they have yeah. to have similar tactile similarity, like do, as far as size oh. or texture or any of that? That's a really good question. So especially with fudge dice, there are two key varieties. There's your, um, what used to be called just fudge dice, and then there are the fate dice that Evil Hat had put out. They're very different in terms of how they feel and how they roll. And again, I don't really particularly care. Um, I think 
generally speaking, I find the fate dice a little bit easier to feel. And so I do grab those more often than not. But if I were to just reach into a bag and pull out a fistful of dice, um, I don't get too picky about it. Mm. Is that based on material? Like, do you prefer mm. a plastic versus mm. a metal good set? Question. That is a good question. I love a good, like, stone die. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. D sixes that are made out of jade. Those are my favorite dice. Um, and uh, absolutely, Very I'll schmancy. always roll those when I need a when I need two D six. Cool. Oh yeah, I can picture those. They they have a bit of weight to them. You know, when they do, they're nice yeah. and heavy, and they, they've got a nice clacky sound to them. Yeah, there's they something have, about that sound, isn't it? They yeah. have like porcelain dice now too that have wow. like kind of cracked, so they fill it in with like dye. Um, but supposedly they have like great like hand feel. They feel like they're like very smooth and they clack really good. I have yet to grab any, but I've been thinking about it. I also have a set of gemstone ones that are like really, really nice as well. And like, again, I'm always afraid to like roll them in anything. Like even <laughs> even like in the dice box that I have, I'm like, I got to roll that so gently against that back wall. But really like, <laughs> like half power right now, half power. Uh, for my dice, uh, I, I actually, because I run a lot of games for like new players, um, I actually bought, or I went to a site where you could buy like literally individual die um, and color coded them. So I bought like five or 10 like purple D20s and then like red D6s, blue D8s type thing. Because I find at the table, uh, especially for newcomers, it's tricky to be like, which one am I supposed to roll? So mm -hmm. um, I tend to I tend to go with color a lot as well. And then it's also just like nice organizing them, at least at the middle of the table, to have like these little pools of different colors. Um, so I guess yes, they do all match, but in a in a different way, like not in a just a set of one of each of each one. That's super cool. clever. I love that. I don't know if this is a thing for other games, but there was this old TSR game called Dragon Strike, and it's a board game that's kind of loosely based on second edition D and D. And they do that where they have um, like the D10 is a blue die, the D12 is a black die, the D8 is I think a white die or something. And they do that specifically so that when you're playing with a new player, you can be like, "Oh, grab the the black die or grab the blue die." You don't have to tell them, "Well, grab oh, the D12." Great. Yeah, it's super clever. That's yeah, awesome. That's good design. I yeah. think I. Typically speaking, matching dice. Like, I've been using uh, the same like dice set. I have tons of dice, but I've been using this one dice set for most of my games for uh, probably the last like two years. Ever since I got the dice set, <laughs> um, but when I do get a new character, I tend to buy a dice set for them, mm. and I'll use oh. that. Um, it's it, you know, it's a nice excuse to spend like depending uh, like somewhere between like eight and. $30 depending I haven't got I'm not that addicted yet where I've gone to like the re I'm, I've not yet like gone to a dice maker <laughs> and uh, like I would like some custom dice I'm not yet at the point of spending like a couple hundred dollars on it so I'm not that bad but I'm getting there slowly yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've never done that either like there's been a few times um I was at like PAX East one year and I was like oh I really like this set of dice now of course they were from level up um and uh so that alone is cost prohibitive um but i was like oh, i really like these dice they were metal and they made like a cool jingly mm -hmm. sound when you rolled them they were 175 dollars, and i was like nope that is not happening <laughs> there's been a couple i follow a lot of dice makers and kind of friends with some dice makers on tiktok and every time i see them make something i'm just like 
God, I want it, but also I don't want to spend $300. (laughs) I know, and I get it. Like, I totally get why they can charge that much, especially if they're handmade, you know, because it's a lot of work to learn how to do it and make sure you get it right and, you know, all of it. But, man, yeah, that's... That's out of my price range. And everybody and, knows and I have, love dice. <laughs> and they have like the soft, like liquid core dice now. Oh, no, those are so, so cool. They're, the the dice maker that I follow, I'm blanking on the name right now, but there was a Tide Pod in them. <laughs> oh, wow. So, and it was like fist size too. And I was like, that guy's easily $300. I can't. Oh. I can't. I'm going to hold up. I, I want it, but I can't. The closest yeah, what, what, I've what? ever come to buying handmade dice is um, I've backed two Kickstarters from Greenleaf Geek. And that's like the closest I've ever come. And they're still like, they weren't super expensive ones because I can't afford like the sharp edge ones, even though aesthetically, I think those are much nicer looking than the round edge ones. Um, But uh, like the last one that I backed were the, um, what'd she call them? The perihedrals, the cat ones. They have little cats on the inside of them and they're super stinking cute, but like. I was like, man, if I tried to get somebody to make me a set of these, they'd be ridiculously expensive. I don't know if anybody saw them. You can't really, so if I hold it up, you can't really see it. But there's a little black cat in this one. So, right. you know what I love, Ryan, is so when you say you buy a new set of dice for uh, when you have it, when you're creating a new character, how much do the dice have to, you know, because I try to identify with that type of thing, but not necessarily with dice. I try to maybe it's a physical. Uh, a little prop that I have or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like I have a character that I use a toothpick for, that type of thing. So do you connect the feel or the color or the size of the dice with what that character would own? Or is it just a more of a random thing? Like I'm just going to get some new set of dice and I'm going to connect that. I'm going to link that to this character. So I usually buy the dice after I've come up with the character. So I try to be like, what would the character buy? Sometimes I already have the dice. Like I've been gifted a couple of sets here and there. So I have some like nautical themed dice that have like little fishes in them. Mm -hmm. Um, So like if I had, if I were to play a, uh, maybe something more nautical, like somebody that was like, you know, a CL for something like that, I have that unlock. But you know, for my necromancer character, I play in a campaign, I got red and black. (laughs) Mm, And then like this really fancy magus that i was playing in a pathfinder game i got these really nice metal super mirror finish blue inlay like very schmancy very heavy like kind of ostentatious because that's exactly what that character would have gotten like showboat all the way Um, so yeah i I do kind of tailor it yeah i I just love that i've never even thought of that that's a really cool additional connection to your character through the game I was also going to say, you know, based on your whole, like, I want the dice, but I shouldn't spend the money problem. You know, you can always you can always do the whole, like, hey, man, like, if you want to send me some of your dice, then I'll do a little video about it. Like, <laughs> I, I love you. I love your dice. Like, I have done that. You know, like. I was going to say, you probably have the TikTok following to pull that off. So <laughs> I, I have done that. So there was and I, I use these dice a lot, too. But there is. um a couple of dice makers that I've gone to with that proposition. I've done giveaways and stuff for them. I recently worked with Libris Arcana, uh, who donated to my charity fundraiser. So I did a couple of TikToks about the Libris Arcana. They they do this thing where they ship you, you, you basically a subscription service. So you sign up and they will send you a fresh limited edition set of dice every single mm-hmm. month. And they're usually dra- like I've I've gotten one so far, and they're they're nice dice too. They're um like resin dice they got a lot of color to them they've got like you know they're very shiny they're really cool so mm. i i like them so much that i am still a subscriber 
<laughs> no, it's not. Can I can I throw another wrinkle into this dice consideration? Sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm mostly like pretty uh, obsessive with just order in my life. So I would normally mm -hmm. pick yeah. matching dice. But if I'm rolling hot with a particular die, <laughs> that one might just knock out some other ones, and I might yeah, keep yeah. that. One. You know what I mean? So how is everyone? How is everyone with your consideration of hot dice that may just need to linger on that little bit more, um, where normally you might pick some other dice? I'm one of those people that like if one die in the set has to go, the whole set has to go. So if Ooh. one die's rolling hot and the other ones are not, I'm gonna keep them because I've got one doing really well. So <laughs> I've definitely done that before. Like when you're when you're on a hot streak and you know it, like I've kept a dice. Like especially if it's like you have to roll advantage or maybe you're doing like multiple dice and one of these d6s or whatever is always popping up a six. Like yes, that is staying in the mix. <laughs> I've yeah. done that. We we had a game that we played. <laughs> And uh, it was it's a, um, a D four play uh, based game, and Bodhi had a, a set of dice that you got for Christmas. Mm. Um, they were in soap. They were in soap, so uh, we referred to this one D four as the soapy four, and then we had like a range of maybe about five or six, maybe more, seven or eight different other types of D fours. This soapy four, I don't know if it was like like weighed unevenly, but it just continued to roll fours, like in an uncanny, unbelievable way. So yeah. if I was ever in trouble, I would reach for the soapy four yeah. to, to your dismay. Yeah. <laughs> Very often to my dismay. That's funny. All right. Well, we've gotten a couple questions from chat, so let's uh, let's dive into some of those. So the first one that we have is from the Ink Den, and they would like to know, what is the most fun homebrew item you have found or made? <laughs> hmm. Oh. Okay. I mean, I would say both my books are homebrew. Like yeah, I, like that's I, fair. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm very thrilled to play with those. Um, and I've had lots of fun with both settings. So that's, that's my answer. Maybe it's a cheat, Amazing. but it's, it's genuine. <laughs> is that? Well, but, but, okay, wait. When you said item, I thought you meant like in-game item. Sure. I didn't realize oh. we were talking about like homebrew third-party content. Well, I did too. Like, yeah. Chat, can you clarify? It, sure. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do either or both. <laughs> okay. That is, uh, I would say, so in-game, I have given, I seem to just keep giving players things that I think are cool and then just bite me in my ass. And that just seems to be the consistent issue that I seem to have. So... I've got two off the top of my head. One was a, a bottle with an airship in it that the airship was removed fairly quickly and creatures started going in there pretty soon thereafter. And that was not my original intention. And yeah, they were just, yeah, that, that, that. There were some go. important NPCs that got stuck in there. As yeah, well. yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it was a bit of a mess. Um, and then the other one was I gave someone a pen, like Percy Jackson style, that they could click and it would turn to a, like a giant mole. And they use it now as a permanent lock pick. So they just put it in a keyhole, click the button, and just rip the door to shreds, basically. <laughs> so that's their that's their go-to lock picking system now for for getting into anything that I that I put in front of them, which is a uh, again a, a, another one of my my own my own fucking problems that I, <laughs> I, I did, did it to myself. Yeah, but uh, but those would be in-game items, fun ones that I've had. 
my favorite one that I've done, it was a it was like a plus one sword. I, I wrote this out on Reddit because I thought it was such a great idea. This was years ago. But it was a plus one or like a plus two sword. But every time that you hit a monster with it, it would subtract like D4 gold from your bank, like basically from your pockets. Yeah. And the second you ran out of money, it would be it, it would be cursed and it would yeah. actively start to it would basically hold the balance against you and as the balance grew mm-hmm. so with the negative penalty towards your like to hit and damage rolls i thought that'd be it was like something really fun you'd give like a very low level party before they you know basically become like walking banks with you know infinite yeah. funds but i always like the idea of that that kind of like there's a switch at some point that character is gonna be like as i'm telling him you know 17 hits and all of a sudden a 17 doesn't hit and i'm like oh that'll also, after the battle, your pockets feel really light. Um, I love that. Nice. That's, <laughs> That's a badass cool. one. I think for me, in uh, third edition D&D, I created an item that was for kind of a silly campaign called Beer Goggles. And the longer <laughs> you wore them, the higher other people's charisma appeared to you. That is literally That's good. That's great. Yeah, so it was a fun little kind of antics uh, Love that. I think that's the one that stands out to me. I have, Love um, that. you actually gave me this one. I have uh, a device that Bodhi named the Watch of Time Turning. Mm. And um, there was a, there was a kind of an encounter, a heist and um, kind of rescue encounter that we were just up against it. We were losing in many ways and it looked like it could have ended up in a TPK. It literally was not looking good. And certainly some of the PCs were in big trouble. So I could click on this watch of time turning my, my total character and reverse time, which would then reverse uh, a couple of the actions that happened before, which were like redos on rolls that yeah, literally- Essentially redo a saving throw, redo a check, basically. Yeah, it's just yeah. a, nice. a, a re-roll. Basically. And it was super, super handy to us where I saved, a, you know, my character saved mm-hmm. uh, a PC, one of our fellow PCs that was like following it, falling into a swarm of, uh, of baddies. And then, and then we had a, an NPC as well that died, actually died. Mm. But what we realized is every time I turned back time, it was creating a parallel universe for us. So we had yeah, <laughs> yeah that was that was again again me thinking cool ideas and then not realizing the ramifications of some of the shit that I, that, that, that I create. But that's that's kind of my favorite thing about it. Do you know what I mean? I I I kind of love when I create something. I'm like, this is going to be used in the most mundane way, and then I'm always surprised by how players go about using. It. I think that's one of the Personally, one of my favorite things about D&D is just me thinking it's going to go one way and then just being like, wow, that did not go how I expected it or <laughs> incredible. You know, I think that's one of my favorite things for sure. What about you, Andrew? Have you got, have you got an item? Is yeah, there an so item in Neverland or Oz that's your Yeah, favorite? so if we're going specific uh, specific object, then I it's it's relatively recent, or like been <laughs> recently introduced to my, my main group, um, but they found like a magnetized shield, like a shield that essentially like, like from inside you could magnetize one side. So if you're like struck mm-hmm. by like a metal object or like if they missed with a metal object, then they would have to make a save and if not, then that becomes stuck to the shield. So oh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to get used in ways that I'm, well, it, has, it has to be, it's going to get used in ways that I'm not planning for. So far, it's just been like, a, like a, an advantage in combat, um, but I'm sure they will use it to somehow scale 
a metal tower at some point. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, home cruise your way up a tower with that. Yeah, with the yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that one stands out as not necessarily something where shenanigans have happened, but I'm I'm certain they will. So yeah, magnet shield. That's that's it for me. I love it. Love it so much. Luna, do you have one? I do. Um, so I created. Um, <laughs> You know those butter cookies that come in the tin and you never know if it's going to have cookies or sewing supplies in it? (laughs) (laughs) So I created a magic item based on that. And it's basically you can open it once a day and you have to roll on a table and it will tell you what kind of crafting supply you get. Um, Or if you roll, it's a you have to roll a D100 um, if you get between like a 90 six and a hundred you actually get cookies um and the cookies will heal will heal you for like you know two points of healing or something like that but uh yeah it um that's probably the only thing i've made it was totally intended to be super goofy um and it was exactly that so (laughs) yeah i I, it was one of those things that i was like that should be an item i need to make that an item so I, i i literally just went through like the D&D, like, spell components list. I went through the Pathfinder spell components list. Um, picked, like, just random crap. You know, some of the stuff that's in it is, like, <laughs> actually useful stuff. And some of it's, like, pocket glitter. <laughs> nice. So. <laughs> that's the stuff, though, that ends up getting used in ways where you don't expect. Like, when you introduce, mm-hmm. oh, this ship is full of crates of, of like, chilled butter. You're like, oh, what are they, they going to do with this? And then the rest of the campaign is, how do we use all this butter? Like, it just becomes yeah. the adventure of, well, if we grease this, then we'll be able to light it on fire, and then that will give us the adventure. <laughs> it ends up becoming a uh, problem. Like, like, the whole, like, when you're a hammer, everything becomes a nail. When you only have mm-hmm. butter, all the solutions become butter. Yeah. Butter yeah. yeah, yeah. I, um, now, I'm, I'm looking at it now, so, because uh, I, I want to see what else I, I threw in there, because I don't even remember what some of the items were um uh let's see yeah some of them are like um a daisy chain that never wilts okay i don't know what you're gonna do with that a jar of glue um a pair of scissors 25 popsicle sticks um (laughs) a pocket watch oh that's where that went (laughs) um let's see a sheet of gold star stickers (laughs) nice um pine cones tree resin diamond dust and what sort of setting is this uh, item located in? Like, what are the what's the kind of like the environment mm-hmm. that this is around? So basically, um, the way that I wrote it is, it can only be found in the attics of old houses or occasionally tucked into closets. They can't be purchased; they just <laughs> exist. Um, they're created by grandmother type beings across the world, and uh, only a special <laughs> type of individual can create one. This is not a skill that any party member would be able to have. <laughs> Luna, you probably have it already, but if you don't, I'd add two different sized socks that were knitted, one green and one in orange or something like that. Oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) I do have, um, let's see, I do have uh, a pair of wooden knitting needles in here, and then somewhere else I have a ball of pink yarn. There you go. There we go. There's the follow-up. So you could, in theory, like knit something with whatever you get, but yeah, you can, um, let's see. There's always something in there. Let's see. What is it? Um... Oh, you can't store items in it, so it's not like a bag of holding. You can't, like, put anything in. It's already fully stocked. There's no room to put anything in, but there's always something in there no matter what you take out. Um, 
Yeah, uh, opening it more than once per day will result in it appearing empty. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that that's, item. That's freaking awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Ryan, actually, you, your, your, your dagger uh, reminded me. I gave something similar to the, the, the Sky Pirate King in our world. Uh, he has a Tonto that is a uh, that essentially just when he stabs players, they drop money. Like I think it's like a hundred gold just dropped, <laughs> and that's like one of his like two weapons that he uses. So he's just constantly like he's cleaning getting, up, he's just, just cleaning, cleaning yeah. up. In oh my yeah, god, so, yeah. absolute nightmare for a player. That's a that for a GM to give that like be absolutely because then it's just a rogue just stabbing everybody all <laughs> the time. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, chat's coming up with stuff now. Bag of beans that give different effects based on a D100 or a D1000. And Ooh. then somebody followed up saying, um, or let the player narrate what happens, but only the third word that they actually use comes true. <laughs> nice. Love it. We had a user-submitted item. Instead of, you know, there's the deck of many things. Mm. There, this user-submitted item was the eggs of many things. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> they got inserted I was pretty early in the campaign, I think. And one, like most of them are pretty like mild things. I think there was like, oh, you can increase your stats a little bit. There's another one where it summons something pretty minor. There was one where it's like, it summons a full-sized pyramid with like mummies and all this other stuff inside of it that like basically it spawns a full dungeon. Of course, when we use it, that is the thing that happens. <laughs> and it like completely redirects our campaign a little bit. Um, well, oh, we had a similar thing with, with your with your um, bottle. Basically, mm. someone captured a bone dragon. So a bone dragon is like this massive thing that they carry around with them. So if we're in any situation where we are confronted by, you know, anyone of any substance, we have a bone dragon that we can release on them. Well, we can release it. We don't know if it's going to necessarily attack them, but it's probably going to cause damage somewhere. It could actually mm. turn itself on us and... Uh, yeah, it's for me to decide. <laughs> My Just group, a bottle of chaos. My group uh, loves to, whatever they find, and I'm sure everyone's run into this, whatever creature they find, trying to turn it into a pet. Um, oh, yeah. And I was recently talking on like a Discord channel about what to do if they come across like a, an infant crocodile in Neverland. Uh, so I essentially like wrote out for them like this basic setup, which I've done with my players of like, you know, it takes a couple of weeks just for it to not instantly attack you uh so in like training that then that's the base level then you kind of have to work on training it to recognize your allies as also mm. allies to this creature uh so that way it doesn't just become a new party member it's like it's still that like you're talking about with the bone dragon a threat of i mean yes this could help us or this could really work against <laughs> us and that's yeah. kind of the nature of raising wild animals like i've, <laughs> I've read the news yeah. now. that is something that will happen so mm. uh, i've heard about that with chimpanzees it doesn't go well sometimes yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay let's see we've got um uh let's see we've got another question from chat um this one comes from jason and he says if you created a brand new ttrpg system what would it be like? Themes, genre, etc. Oh, well, that's easy. Because I, <laughs> I do that all the time. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I wrote Survival of the Able, which um, is based on mechanics from Fudge and Fate, but it's completely its own system. Um, and in that game, uh, first of all, it's a survival, survival horror game set in the Middle Ages with zombies, um, but all characters are disabled. 
Um, but in order to get away from the trope that in a game uh, disabilities are just penalties to buy off, um, there are no like game mechanics associated with disabilities. So you might have th your senses are different traits, um, different skills, um, mm -hmm. because in the real world, our senses come in a spectrum, right? So I'm legally blind, but I'm not totally blind. I can see a little bit. Um, so my sight might be represented by that somehow. Um, and then I um, added in some different skills and qualities and things of that nature to really round out a character without specifically saying, well, you are deaf, so you cannot do this or you can only do that. Um, and then I throw everybody into a setting where um, zombies are trying to, uh, well, it's, uh, there's a zombie plague, it's during the Black Death, and anybody who dies of the plague rises again as a zombie. And then what do you do? Um, how do you survive in that sort of situation where the people who have been taking care of you at your almshouse have uh, succumbed to the plague, and now it's just a handful of people who were originally cast aside by society and said, you need to go live off on your own because you're disabled and we don't want to deal with you. Well, now, what sort of uh, what sort of unique techniques do you come up with to try to survive in that situation? So um, I guess if I were to create a system, uh, it, it would, again, be along those lines where um, you're really trying to think outside the box. Um, is what I love about game design in general is coming up with new ways of looking at old things. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. Have you have you thought of? But by the way, I flip and love that. I just love that whole concept. And the thing that I picture is, um, I, I just picture some incredible artwork that that really kind of features all of that. That seems really cool. Yeah, but what's, sure. what's what's the um, uh, the condition where you get your senses kind of is it synesthesia or something like that, where your your mm -hmm. your sense your senses flip or something like that? So let's say, yeah. Um, is there is there? I'm not sure if that would be relatable or anything like that. But what I what I can picture is like if you are limited with your vision, your sense of hearing is really or your sense of smell are are really really amplified, so that you can mm -hmm. that can be a super strength for you, so to speak. Yeah, so in this game in particular, all of the senses are basically their own skill, and they come in different skill levels. Um, so if you are blind, you can choose which of your other skills or which of your other senses you want to increase. Um, we've had players who prefer to um, enhance their sense of touch or their sense of smell versus their hearing, um, just because it's a more... Um, you can take a different approach to things. Mm. So for example, um, if you're in a burning building, rather than trying to duck and crawl and kind of look your way out, well, first of all, if you're sighted and you're in a burning building that's full of smoke, your sight's not going to do you a lot of good to begin with. Mm. So then your sense of touch is a really great way to see, well, uh, is the fire hotter this way or that way? Mm. Um, is this doorknob hot to the touch? Do I need to go another way? And so, um, it really the the people who've played um, and provided feedback uh, really seem to think that it's it's great fun to think outside the box again um, mm -hmm. to come up with different ways to interact with the world that they wouldn't in like a game like Fifth Edition where it's really more about um, just exploring and thumping things. Mm. Super cool. Somebody That's in amazing. 
somebody in chat just wanted to know, could you have selective hearing as a disadvantage? <laughs> <laughs> My wife says I do all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> also, I'm going to apologize if anybody heard that car horn. My neighbor's kids are outside playing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear it, so I don't know. Okay, good. If you didn't hear that car horn, ignore what I just said. <laughs> I'm actually working on a tabletop game right now. It's more of a hack, so I don't know if anybody's played Into the Odd before or heard of that system. So I'm working on a hack of that because um, it's a very hackable system. It's very simple. The rules are easy to understand. And it's it's pretty easy to tweak with things. So my major influences are like Treasure Planet, Spelljammer. I love Spelljammer. I have a pretty real distaste for the fifth edition Spelljammer books. <laughs> um and I feel like it's kind of like there's just not a lot there. So I've been working on my own setting. So a lot of it's like about like Treasure Planet. You know, you are a space buccaneer. Like, how does that work? Like, what are the what are the forces that create like that as a, a viable thing? <laughs> so I kind of looked at history and kind of, you know, it was basically a lot of buccaneers in the hist in, in the world that existed. They were basically like soft forces of other countries. <laughs> like they were a way for like spain and france and great britain to mess with each other without like necessarily like sending warships so that's mm. kind of what i was like oh maybe there's like some you know galactic empires that need you know some pirates to kind of mess with other people maybe that's an avenue so i mean i love like straight up adventure stuff uh and um what was it swashbuckling the kind of swashbuckling action mm. you would find in something like eberron where everything's not quite how it seems there's always another layer there's a lot of politics going around um, so that's that's kind of what I definitely prefer in my games. So that's definitely what I'm trying to build into mine. That's awesome. That's freaking. That's freaking sick. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Tom Bodie. What do you? What's your take? Um, that's a it's a hard question. I, honestly, I so we we have worked on something that is not a role playing game. We we love mixed martial arts. Um, we're big fans of mixed martial arts, so we have, um, in the background while we've been doing all of our like D and D and playing all of our TTRPG stuff, um, we have been working on a tabletop game that involves dice rolling and it's like strategy based and things like that for uh, an MMA fight basically, and and you know with two two people, so you you know go back and forth and do that. There's skills, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. That's something that we've done. It's not very much like role play, and there's well, there's there's some there's some. I mean, yeah. If you want to, if you want to be, yeah. If you if I'm rolling if I'm rolling that hot soapy floor, dude, I'm I'm talking some. That's fair. I wouldn't call it role play. I'd just call it shit. But you know, I think you know. So there's that. But I think if I were to create a system, I'd probably be very similar to Ryan. You know, my homebrew world is a whole setting of sky islands. You know, I, I'm like my whole thing is floating islands. Um, airships is like you know we're we're making a whole Kickstarter about three three dimensional flight mechanics and rules and combat mechanics for for this kind of stuff. So I think you know I I love steampunk. I love you know for me a lot of what I run is like very real stuff. It's very like people dealing with you know real life consequences like our players have hard arcs where they you know even when they do things that they feel were good it hurts you know the outer ecosystem and you know there's repercussions to that kind of stuff so i like it just being like what i call what i kind of for for people who are 
trying to work out what I'm saying, or like Game of thrones more, where it's that politics, it's a bit grungier, it's a bit more about who's saying what, you know, the, the relationships that you have, the people you know, that kind of thing. And so I would probably go somewhere down that route, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have no intention of making my own system. Um, I personally feel like it's a really saturated industry, especially after the OGL shit that went down. Um, and yeah. I personally don't feel like I'm going to be able to contribute enough to like create something that people are, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I've got good creative mind and I'm good with mechanics and whatnot, but I don't feel like anything I create is going to be any better than, you know, what big people like Paizo and, you know, DM Dave and what Critical Role and, you know, all these other like massive entities. Like to me, I personally feel like it's a superfluous idea for me personally, but that's, that's, mm. You know, mm -hmm. that's where I'm at. But well, I, yeah, I, yeah, again, yeah, I respect yeah. anyone who is doing it because, like I said, it's so hard with what's out there. And you know, if you make a system that can be different, but also you know, crack into that like that almost like mainstream flow of like what's going on, like my hats off to you, dude. Like that hustle is unbelievable. So anyone who can do that is like I I respect the hell out of you for 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 doing that. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat in that. I, what I tend to do is go, oh, I, like this isn't what or this is what isn't working in, for this yeah. system. What 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 will solve it? And ninety nine percent of the time, it's another system that already exists. Like I've yet mm. to I've yet to run into a problem for me that hasn't already been solved or like solved enough that I'm not gonna cross the finish line far like quicker than they are. Um, but Jacob, you you raise an interesting point. I'm I'm curious with your system or what you're approaching. Mm -hmm. How much of it is whole cloth, and how much of it, or what is the the balance of pulling from existing systems, or like Ryan is talking about, kind of like hacking mm -hmm. into the odd. Mm -hmm. But how much, Jacob, mm -hmm. are you um, starting from scratch, or even pulling from like board games or other other yeah. mechanics to build this? Like, what does that recipe look like? Yeah, so for Survival of the Able, for example, um, the idea of the trait ladder that you might see in Fudge or Fate is there. Um, rolling four Fudge dice, um, that's there. And then literally 100% of the game was written from scratch oh, cool. um, with those concepts in mind. I did borrow liberally from other systems, so um, there's a quality system like you might find in Pendragon where you have two dichotomous qualities um, say pious and worldly or energetic and sluggish um if one is high the other has to be low um mm -hmm. but i tailored it for the system mm -hmm. um i borrow the idea of things like skills or um like a luck mechanic mm -hmm. um and then uh give it an another twist so um there's a, a mechanic called blessed dice where you can Pray to your deities or pray to the patron saints to uh, gain assistance on one of your next rolls. And then you have a pool of dice that you can use at your leisure to decide how many you want to roll um, on to, to change your fate, basically. So uh, maybe I have a pool of four dice, but I only need to use two of them right now. Um, that's something that I've sort of woven into my own game designs that I haven't seen in any other system where you have... Um, more of that sort of control over the way that you get die rerolls, right? So in D&D, &D, there's advantage, and it's always a you roll twice, take the better. Um, in some systems, you might be able to do a reroll when you spend a token or, a, you know, a point. 
but having a pool of dice to choose from to reroll a little bit here or there, depending on what works for you at the time. Um, it's those sorts of things that I like to add to my own game designs because there's no one system that I've found that does everything right all the way through. And maybe it's just me being anal, but I want to have things the way that I want to have them. Um, oh, and so yeah. I'll write them myself. And uh, if it means borrowing, it means borrowing. If it means writing at whole cloth, then I'll do that. But um, oh. that's just one example of a system that I've written oh. you know, from the ground up. And there are others that I've, I've written. That, there are a lot of game design challenges that I've taken part in where you have to design an entire game in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. um, usually they come out pretty simply, but it's a great way to start playing with other game mechanics, um, different types of ideas to um, just you do things a different way. And um, I find that just like really liberating to sit down with a, a basic idea of something and come up with a brand new mechanic for it. Um, mm -hmm. If it gets used later in another game, then that's great. If it doesn't, then... Uh, at least you've practiced the art of game design, mm. um, and to me, that like that's half the fun of gaming is game designing. Mm. That's awesome, man! It's it's sick to hear your passion about that. Like you can you can feel it, dude. You can you can, you can <laughs> feel it. Yeah, I, I can hear. You know, they, you you know, some of us are forever GMs. Some of us are players for life. Sounds like you're a game dev. Sounds like you're a game dev for sure, through, yeah. man. Which is which is absolutely <laughs> awesome, dude. That's that's freaking sick. And it's funny you touched on something that, like, in my illustration life, I run into a lot, which is, like, personal mm -hmm. projects tend to be where I, I crack stuff that then goes into, like, the client work or, like, the work that yeah. ends up going. Like, I end up working through a new texture or, like, color combination in this, like, small little personal project that maybe no one will ever see. But then mm -hmm. that then becomes the base of like this thing that I pitch to a client or like when I have a project where I need to, to finish this commission and I go, oh, right, I did this six months ago on this little thing. I'll open that file and see what I did there and then translate yeah, it. Like, sure. it's, it's fun to see in the kind of game design side that kind of iteration then informing the final stuff because uh, I, I, I'm just used to it in like pictures on a page as opposed to uh mechanics so it's very, it's very cool to hear yeah very similar though like the number of games that i've designed and have never published it, it, i'm sure i've designed more than i've actually published because it's, it's just one of those hobbies and th things that i like to think through. some people build characters some people build homebrew items mm. i just like design games from scratch <laughs> love it it's That's good cool. though because without people like you, the rest of us would have nothing to play. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, need, we need everyone. It's true. It's definitely a team team thing. Um, all right, this is probably a great time for us to pause and take a break. So we're going to do that, um, and then we will come back and answer some more questions. So stick around, uh, and we will see you after the break. Excuse me. To some of our questions, I was eating a snack during break, and I like half still was swallowing it apparently um <laughs> all right let's see um so the next question that we have comes from uh matt who most of us would know as dungeon glitch on twitter oh yeah and uh his question is you never get to play with one of these again dungeons or dragons <laughs> dragons easy i barely use dragons as it is <laughs> 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 um, they rarely come up in the adventures that I'm in. I've been in 
I have run two multi-year, one of them is going on five-year campaigns, and I there was a dragon once because it was uh, out of the abyss and Thumberchod is in the mix. I could have thrown him out. He could have just been something else. He could have been a Hydra or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're easy to forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love. Oh, oh, go for it, Jacob. No, go, 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 no. Jacob. Go, go, go. I love dragons so much, but I also love a good dungeon crawl. <laughs> I think if I had to just not play with one, it would be dragons because I have plenty of dragon memorabilia to keep me happy for the rest of my life. <laughs> Did we just awesome. become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I, I. Contrary to the beginning of our actual play series, where I throw my players into one dungeon, I legitimately never use dragons or dungeons ever. <laughs> I don't think I, I I I just I don't person like for me dungeon crawls for my players that like role playing just get too they can like bog down a little bit with just like combat and enemies and just problems just constantly and it, it sometimes feels like it, it gets a little bit bogged down with that stuff and then. Dragons, dude, I don't like D&D dragons, man. I don't like that these dudes are talking to you and that they're like, that they're dicks. Like, I'm just not about that, man. I, I, I'm all about like how to train your dragon dragons. That's the, if I'm gotcha. doing dragons, that's where I'm going with dragons. I'm not doing no talking, transforming, like freaking giant all seeing, all knowing creatures, man. I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd probably lose dragons. Like, I think. And I also like the idea of dungeons. I mean, I guess what we're calling a dungeon is just like anything I would do a dungeon crawl in. So, mm-hmm. like, I I prefer caves. I like I like mm. going into a, a decrepit mansion. Like, I I like that like mode of play. Um, and I would hate to lose that more than I would hate to lose. Like, I there are like what Ryan was saying. Like, you could throw another creature that still is like big, intimidating, and dangerous. Like, that's essentially what a, a dragon is, to me, at least. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you can still, yeah. like, throw a bunch of treasure underneath it. Like, you could do a bunch of stuff. Like, who, I don't know, a giant monkey that hoards treasure. Uh, like, I'm, I'm fine with that kind <laughs> of like, <laughs> it. Like, it's, it's still the same spirit of play. So, uh, yeah. 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 But I do like when when Bodhi is saying losing both of them. I picture you just having a book that just has like the ampersand on it. Redacted either side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. when that's when Ryan busts out tunnels and trolls. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Got the Andrew, didn't you just didn't you just describe Hong Kong though, basically? <laughs> I, you know, I, I suppose that, yeah, Skull Island would be a great setting. Uh, it would be. Yes. And, and a formidable a opponent. That. Formidable opponent to any dragon, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I guess, but although I guess you lose the dungeon in that setting too, that'd be more like a, I would go more like a hex crawl with that island. But, yeah, hex crawl, yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Nice. I think for me, I'll be, I guess I'll be controversial and say that I'm, I don't care about either of them that much, um, but I think if I had to choose, I'd probably dump the dragons. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I guess it. So this question is pretty. It pretty um, diagnostic, isn't it? Like what your what your preferences are, what your stylistic preferences are, game wise. Because I'm. I'm. I think more. I just love role playing, and it doesn't really matter what the setting is. So if it, it could be modern. It could be in the past, it could be fantasy, it could be with monsters, it could be, you know, whatever. It's just the interaction, usually between PCs at the table, that's that's 
the thing that's gets me off. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you find though that the setting informs some of that role play? Like I and I and I say that as so essentially the two books that I've written, one is more like an untamed, like a wild island, and the other is more of like an, an urban, like a, a developed city. And I find even though it's the same group of players, and while they are playing different characters, they tend to approach their role play differently because they're just coming up against different challenges like do you i guess you so you're saying you enjoy role play but do you find you enjoy a certain setting more than another or a certain type of role play more than another like a uh like a survival role play versus a political role play oh that's a great question yeah so um so i get i, I give you a, a question back in a second which is basically about like when your players are are are, are um approaching those different settings differently how is that different like is it characteristically they're coming across differently with different accents or that type of thing or or gestures or or is it more of a a, a deeper shift for me i do like we're, we're playing an orbital blues game right now that is just Love um orbital blues oh That's dude so dude can oh, i just good. say can i just can i just shout out orbital, orbital blues to anyone so great the balance in that game i just i just love it so the the, the point of the of of the reason I brought it up though is that it is it is just literally a bunch of like down and out characters that are always up against it and always and my, certainly my, in our game. My setting is very cowboy bebop esque in of that yes. everyone is just yes. losing constantly. There's no winners anywhere <laughs> at any point. It's, yeah. that's not what it's about. So yeah. So I, I def definitely like to be like the um you know the the outcast character that has you know a little bit roguish and just up against it the whole time i don't really i don't really kind of identify too much with the hero um maybe i try to do that in real life uh, as much as i can so that like in my in my um role playing life i try to be like you know kind of the roguey don't give a crap kind of character um that's what i like but yeah you like to play wounded characters tom plays a lot of wounded characters mm. like a lot yeah. of characters who um, you know, are either, you know, struggling with something in their past or, you know, dealing with something that, you know, ails them in the moment, things like that. But mm. I'd say um, across across a lot of them, you, you, you don't like to play characters that have it easy. You're, you're, not a, you're not a Legolas who's walking on top of the snow while everyone else is trudging through the snow. You're, you're like a Gimli that's like head high in yeah. the snow, like struggling. That's, that's, that's what you're all about. I think it's, I think it's also you know, it just adds a bit of uh, variety to the traditional arc, you know, of a character. So, yeah, but so I, I was going to follow back up with you, Andrew. What, what, what is the, the subtle difference that you're seeing with how your, your players approach the different settings? So, I mean, you, you're right in that they're playing different characters. Um, and maybe this is just the nature of the players that I'm playing with. But in, in Neverland, where it's more survival-based and they're kind of like in this wild space, which is like settled in some pockets, but not in others, I find they're trying to like maintain, not maintain the status quo, but kind of like almost like protect the setting in a way uh, or mm -hmm. trying to like navigate survival as much as they are trying to navigate some kind of like social politics. In contrast to Oz being more of a, like a, like a, a, like a highly developed space, like an urban space, mm -hmm. Um, I find the role play tends to be more uh, like class based where they are going, oh, because there is this like upper echelon, we have our own problems, but we also really want to work against this. And again, maybe those are the players bringing their own stuff to it. But yeah. I think the nature of the setting is changing their priorities, even if their mm -hmm. character priorities are still like surviving and, um, you know, 
getting enough, like having enough resources, whether it's like money or like literally like food and fire. Like it's, mm. they're still focused on like keeping their characters alive. I guess that's the core thrust. But mm. I think that extra layer, that layer below that, like once maybe it's the hierarchy of needs. Like once they've kind of got mm. those base needs met, mm-hmm. then their priorities shifted based yeah. on where they are. At least as they're as they're role playing their characters. So mm. that, that's what I see. Um, but it's also something I haven't really specifically thought about. So I wonder if I spent more time now analyzing each session if I'd tease out more. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting concept, the hierarchy of needs, because you can set the setting up so that, the, that wherever you feel is the priority of that need. So if it's just basic survival, then that's going to be a different approach. Whether, But if that has been accomplished in a different setting, then it could be about, you know, politics and about, you know, having self-esteem and, you know, all this other stuff. It's, it's a really interesting. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. classic RPG, you know, as, as game dev and, you know, you, you guys all work in so It's classic RPG shit. It's, you know, you give them a quest, you give them the main quest, and you're like, cool, you can follow that if you want. And then you start filtering in all these other little things that happen as they meet people and alliances that they can make and people that are messing with them and all that kind of stuff. And it becomes that hierarchy of needs where it's like, okay, cool. Right now, we need a battery because that battery is going to get us one step closer to being able to get our ship going again, which we need to then capture this guy who has it, you know, and it, it becomes that whole line of like, cool, how do we get back to that core mission? But it's like, cool, we need to work out what we need to do in the in, in the interim to do it. And I, I would say that the, the whole, it comes also down, I think, to acting principles, Andrew, of like um, super objectives and objectives of a character. Do you know what I mean? You have objectives for, you know, a scene or a moment in a game. You have objectives for, you know, maybe relationships with those people. And then your character has their core super objective, you know, that might change or whatnot. But it, it's the thing that drives every, the, the first question or the last question is always cool. But how does that sit with, you know, what I'm really, you know, wanting to do and whatnot? So I think, like you said, in, in a lot of cases, setting can dictate what those are based on, you know, what kind of struggles or what things people might be facing or, or wanting to overcome or, you know, succeed at or whatever it might be, you know, in, in, in those settings. So mm. I, I totally agree with you. And I think settings affect the role play massively. But I think, you know, yeah, I, I just agree. I agree. But to I talk your point, the, uh, I think if, you're, if your focus is still on role play, I think the setting doesn't necessarily matter. It's just that you are role playing about different things. Like, I, I mm. still appreciate that. Uh, a role-play-driven player mm-hmm. is going mm-hmm. to find the role-play, whether it is survival horror or, uh, mm-hmm. like, high fantasy. Um, yeah. It's just kind of like finding finding the joy wherever you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Any other, any other thoughts on that one? No, it's an interesting conversation. I know. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so I'm going to throw a question out there. Um, and, uh, so for people who weren't here last month and didn't hear, um, and, and are not familiar, uh, one of the moderators that I had for my channel for a very long time, um, loved the stream very much, um, passed away unexpectedly back in February. And so I'm going to ask a question in his honor, cause it was his favorite one to ask. And his favorite question to ask was, tell us your best natural 20 story or your best natural one story. <laughs> I've got some good natural one stories, but I think <laughs> <laughs> my favorite was um, in a game of Pathfinder where we were, it was a published 
module, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, we were in Fairyland or in, in the Fey Realm, assaulting some kind of Fey castle, and uh, my character—I was playing a summoner at the time—and um, instead of going in through the front door, I decided I'm going to um, cast Spider Climb and crawl up the outside wall and go in a window. So as I'm on my way up, um, an invisible fairy pops up and like casts grease on me. Uh, <clears throat> I did manage to um, save on the grease spell, so I was able to get into the window. But then when I get into the room, um, I spot something that I wasn't supposed to see. And so this guy cast charm on me, and I failed that save. Um, and as a summoner, I had a pretty decent will save. But the nat one, you know, that, that trumps it. Um, so he says, come with me. And uh, I was given another save to resist because it was something that I wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, and I failed that save with another nat one. Um, and so by the time all of a sudden done, I had rolled like three nat ones in a row and was following this, this fey person down into the uh, throne room of this castle that we were not supposed to have given away our position. Um, and suddenly I was uh, somewhat enthralled to the fairy queen. Um, we did bypass half of the adventure because I went in the wrong way and we found the back door. Um, but I had to kind of wait for my party to rescue me because uh, I'd gone missing all of a sudden. Um, so one of those times where, um, you know, a series of natural ones can lead to some really different ways of doing things. It ended up working out in the end because we bypassed a lot of the challenges uh, that we may have otherwise faced if we had gone in the front door. Um, but my character ended up almost dead at one point because of it. <laughs> well, that's great, because that also sets up like a whole arc that you could do because you could be like a Manchurian candidate <laughs> completely brainwiped and like all of a sudden, you hear somebody whisper, like, ketchup, and all of a sudden, just, <laughs> daggers and swords, you just start knifing everybody. So, I, as a GM, it would be frustrating to lose that much of an adventure, but it would also be very exciting to have that opportunity just to be like, I'm going to drop this on the party, like, a million bricks <laughs> in, like, six months from now. What's yours, Ryan? Oh, so... This didn't happen to me. It's one of my players. So this is a 5e campaign, um, uh, Tome of Annihilation. And he's an orc. He's, like, really into the, the, the orc side of thing. Worshipper of Grooms. I gave him a kind of, like, a legendary weapon-ish ish that was, like, going to grow with him. So I put a little, a couple of timers on it. It's like, he, you know, it's going to advance to the next level of what it could be if he does, like, five, after five natural 20s. I think that's going to be some amount of time. He's had it for maybe a month or two. They get to this, uh, this. they're fighting a bunch of like pirates. They go to this like pirate cove and they start fighting pirates. He gets, not, we're playing on roll 20. He does, doesn't get like five crits in one like game, but he got several like double 20s. With, like, every time he was rolling with advantage, 20, 20, 20, 20. So like at the end of it, like I, it, he just massacred me. He's a barbarian, he was just, like, 
running roughshod all over all of these like relatively low level pirates. So finally, I'm just like, all right, like in the middle of it, after his fifth natural twenty, it's like, oh, something happens with your axe. It starts to like grow and it becomes weird and all this other stuff. He's like, oh, I hit with it, and he, of course, another natural twenty. <laughs> so there's like some mid level boss. It was supposed to be kind of. He wasn't a beholder, but he had the powers of beholder. He had like a beholder. Under his eye patch, he had like this crystal eye that gave him beholder powers. So he was supposed to kind of like mess with them and get away, just misted, pink misted, just immediately destroyed. <laughs> I want to say he did some god awful number of hundreds of points of damage in that. And like everybody else was like really worried because there was maybe 50 pirates on Oops. like all over the place that were like in the mix, like in this battle. And he just started cleaving so like they were just dropping like flies and i started running like i started rolling checks because obviously that'd be terrifying i roll a nat one on the checks for like to see if they stay and like have a bunch of them immediately like drop weapons and just like give up. but that was a lot of fun just seeing that happen i mean it was a little early for them to get like a have a plus two weapon but it was i mean he earned it like it you know some i'm a kind of a person you know if i set like an idea it's like i'm not going to shortchange the players like if he got mm. five nat 20s he's gonna get the next stage of it but that was a lot of fun everybody it was just really fun to see that happen because like every time you got a nat 20 it just everybody got more and more excited mm. <laughs> and it just kept on yeah it, it gets infectious on the table i've never seen a double nat sure. 20 on roll 20 I've, I've never not not a single time ever yeah. that's uh, sick. i've gotten that's... i've gotten some double nat once <laughs> it did remind me that one of the one of the early rules i learned which was if i ever put someone somewhere that needs to escape they will they won't escape like if, if i could put in however many fail safes I, I assume will work and they still have some sort of solution because they found a ship full of butter they just decide oh well because we've got this, we're gonna stop or escape but um i don't have a specific natural one or natural 20 story except i mean like on its own it's not that exciting but uh i have a group that even in different campaigns i've given them enough tread like boxes that are locked that need to have like not even just like roll over 20 but literally need to they need to roll a 20 mm. to unlock the box um and assume that it will take a while or they'll go through a bunch of tools and it'll break and that and inevitably it's always the first try that they <laughs> that they pop it open and go oh and they, they they don't know how exciting that is because they just did it um so they're just ready to reap the rewards without realizing that oh if we hadn't rolled this it would have you know like there would have been consequences so they're just mm -hmm. like and cruising through life on easy street not knowing how good they have it <laughs> little do they know it's a hellraiser like public use <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's a good point next time next time we'll yeah. a smaller box inside that box but yeah for now that's it what about you two My, mine was uh super super basic it was um we were actually in a dungeon and it was our first it was our first ever D, &D campaign it was our first campaign <laughs> our first campaign in a dungeon and uh, looking to try to get down to a dark hallway that uh, something was down in there. So I had a bright idea of throwing a, a rock that would illuminate once it got down into the hallway. And um, so everyone was really like, you know, yeah, that's let's do that. That's yeah, cast a light, throw the rock. Yeah. Idea. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and of course, I'm going to pick, an, an, as opposed to the hero journey, I'm going to pick the, you know, a little bit more of a spicier uh, experience. So I, I roll on that one. Um, so I throw the rock. Bodhi says it hits against the wall and it comes back and hits you in the head. Boom. Okay. 
So then we come back around to like everyone's doing their thing again. It's my turn again. I'm like, I'm throwing the rock again. Everyone's like, are you sure, Tom? Do you really want to like, maybe we do a different strategy. I'm like, nope. I'm not. What's the chances? <laughs> Throw it again. Another net one. Bodhi says it hits the wall and now it cuts you as it knocks you on, like, on your ground, on the ground. And I'm like, okay, well, that, that sucks as well. So that's twice now. And everyone's like, okay. We're not throwing any more walks, Tom. That's this is done now. So comes back around again. And I'm like, I'm thinking peer pressure. You know how sometimes you just want to go against peer pressure, just be, whether it makes sense or not. And I'm like, guys, look, I know you're gonna hate me, but I'm throwing this flipping rock again because the chance, like, I can throw rocks. I can throw them down a hallway. It's not hard to do. I can do this. <laughs> Third nat one. <laughs> oh my god. I get rendered unconscious and. <laughs> Legend. So Tom, Tom, a level three wizard, just putting himself on contract. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was that was worth it. Um, That's amazing. That was really to the utter dismay of the table. There was disgusting. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like I, I, I want to say as a GM, I feel so fortunate because not only do I get to live my nat twenties and my nat ones, like I get to live my like parties nat ones and nat twenties and. For me, like, look, I'll be honest with you, me rolling that ones and me being like, hey guys, I rolled a that one behind my screen or like behind the computer kind of thing is great. But there's nothing more exciting than when your players get nat 20s and they just like go off the chain and everyone's super happy. That kind of just like fills fills my hate fire in my soul for, for killing them. Um, <laughs> and uh, and um, no, I, I, I actually, so I have, I have, countless that I could use that, that are some of my absolute favorites. But um, one, it relates back to the item that I mentioned earlier, the, the pen of, the pe it's called the one pen to rule the mole, because um, it turns into a mole. Um, and thank you. Um, and, and so he, uh, he essentially has this pen with him and our, our party are in a water reservoir. So in my world of floating islands, water is uh, a commodity up here. It's, it's something that only the rich really have and the poor are kind of uh, not really given much of basically because of this oppressive power that, that, that kind of lives there. And um, these guys have joined with some local vigilantes and they're going to go um, rob a water reservoir as well as break out a, a young half-elf gentleman who's in the, uh, who's in the like, prison cells there basically because um, he's being falsely accused of something. So. They go in and they split the team. One half is still in the water. One half is going down to uh, to, to to get the kid out the out the uh, brig. And um, the the team that went in uh, into to save the kid was just two characters. It was our uh, our dog folk person and our half orc. And um, they went in and the half orc who is our barbarian strongest, you know meant to be, you know he he's got this whole backstory that he's like a pugilist in his spare time, you know all this. And um, our dog person, who's my mom, just absolutely comes in with her bow and just starts rinsing dudes, like one-shotting people <laughs> with like just ridiculous amounts of damage. She's, you know, being a total min-maxer and putting all her abilities together and just like absolutely rinsing these guys. So she comes out and just like takes out a few and then he basically just runs, doesn't hit a single person. He's like, I want to smash through the gate that then leads to the cells rolls a nat 20 to get through the gate. So I'm like, you just rip this chain link fence apart. 
And then he's like, I'm going to ram the pen in the lock of the, the prison cell and bust it open by clicking it. He'd never done that up until this point. So that blew my mind. And I was like, we got to, I was like, I'm going to roll something to see how well this lock <laughs> withstands this at least. Um, and, uh, and I got him to roll it and then he got another nat 20. So I was like, oh, okay, wow. cool. I was, I was like, cool. you, you, you smash it open. It's all good. You guys are, you know, and they basically got out of there, both of them completely unharmed. And the, the biggest, most powerful player on our team didn't harm a single person in, in the reservoir. Um, which was, and Tracy wiped everyone and else And Tracy out. wiped everyone <laughs> else Yeah, it was just those two nat 20s. It was just a great story moment. You know, like they, they spring their trap arrows are flying he's like rushing through smashes through you know saves the kid it was just a nice moment that 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 was uh that was one that i remember and mm, really appreciated awesome. um yeah for sure what about you luna oh gosh um let's see well okay so this didn't actually happen to me but it actually it happened um to an npc that we were fighting who rolled a natural one and uh, we were playing a Pathfinder first edition game and the DM was using like a, um, you know, a crit fail table and a crit success table. So, uh, you know, every time you'd roll a one, he'd be like, OK, roll a D20 to see what happens and that sort of thing. And um, <laughs> the uh, the NPC that we were fighting ended up uh, putting this very nicely, punching himself in the groin and stunning himself for four <laughs> rounds. And um, Classic. Was, that's about accurate yeah I, I mean, i'm, I'm going to take your word on that one but it, know, four rounds seems a little low <laughs> yeah, i need a, a full minute i think it's more accurate um but it was it was the whole circumstance around it it was just like the timing of it and the way it all happened like it just was so funny i mean like just talking about that alone is funny but like oh the whole circumstance we were just like so that happened, and the entire party's like, well, guess that fight's over. And we just ran out of the room because <laughs> we're like, what's he going to do, follow us? I mean. <laughs> um, rolling on the ground. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Um, and I think one of the best nat 20s I ever rolled, um, same game, actually, but uh, my character, she was this little spitfire, and um, she... Uh, <laughs> they were up so there was a an attack on the city that they were in and um she was up on like a uh the ramparts over one of the gates coming in and the enemies i don't know how but somehow had like a troll or an ogre i can't remember which it was now and um so she decides to like you know like cannonball off the ramparts with her with her short sword out and try to land on that because she's a halfling try to land on the head of the ogre and stab it while going down and she did um and it was probably one of the most epic things like it, that whole game for me was was sort of this experimenting and trying new things and sort of like role playing out my actions, not just like a I swing, I swing again, you know. Um, it was really the first time that I got sort of into the RP of a fight, and um, and so yeah, so it was really exciting for me both as a player and for my character because she, I mean, she very easily could have gotten stepped on and killed, but didn't and um so i think that those two things for me were were pretty epically hilarious and fun in different ways but uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, 
Do you know what? I, I want to just touch on something there because yeah. it's something that I feel like is under-talked about in D&D. And people always go, you know, oh, my, my combat's really clunky or, you know, like my players aren't enjoying combat because, you know, the, everyone's taking turns and things like that. Combat art, like RP, is so important for, like, good combat. Like, mm -hmm. one, people describe mm -hmm. your stuff, but, like, we, we kind of have a, a, an unspoken rule, which is, like, every turn, move your character and say something. What mm -hmm. battle do you know where someone is stood still for multiple, like, like chunks of time? Like, every if you've seen any fight, people are moving their footwork, they're moving around, they're circling people, you know? Even if you're still in the threatening space and you're just moving around them in a freaking circle like this, it still makes more sense than standing still. So if you're, if you're struggling with that, like use that RP. It's such a weapon, man. It's such a tool in, 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 in that I would even situation. Say, I would even say like you can, you can inject um, RP, even if it's not your turn, just talking to someone. You know, certainly not advising them or anything like that, but like in, the, in that moment, you know, that that's going down, if, if it's not my turn and, and someone wants to interact with me, I'm going to interact with them or I might mm. shoot some, you know, some... A one line back or something. Yeah, like something, that, just yeah. to kind of keep the whole... Of course, combat is super linear and can really get bogged down, mm -hmm. especially if, some, if someone is like, you know, Tracy, my mom, my mom, my wife, Bodie's mom, um, is very mini-maxing. So she's, she's into her rules and into like really trying to maximize her, her turn. Um, so if there's too much of that, then it can really, really get bogged down. But if you're, I don't, the, the other thing is like, what are we doing? Like, are we, we're, we're, as a table, we're trying to experience something that has some drama, has some excitement, has some like real consequences that we can feel. It's not just numbers. It's something that we can feel, right? Mm. So if we get bogged down in just the, um, you know, the mechanics of it, it can get really kind of stale a little bit as well. So yeah, it's something we really try to work on because that's I think that's one of the real liabilities of D and D as a as a game is the combat can get really, really, you know, kind of clunky. Clunky. For yeah. sure. Well I just want to say I appreciate what you just said just then, Lunar. I think that that's that's super awesome that you uh, that you made that step and, and evolved your game in that way. That's that's super sick. I love that and respect anyone who's you know, and don't get me wrong, like I'm I'm saying this stuff, you know, with the assumption that you're comfortable to possibly take that step it's it's something that you know if you're not comfortable with it takes time you got to build up to it but you yeah. know when you are ready to take that step yeah. it's so worth it man and you see it with all new players all the time the first time they're like wait can i say this and you're like yeah say it yeah go <laughs> do your yes. thing like just talk and, yep. you know, and like it starts to unlock and so like you can find it, but I, I just really appreciate that story, Luna. I feel like it's something that people don't talk about, but yeah. Oh, I completely agree, and I think it's really easy. Like, I lucked out in that I had a party that was willing to kind of, like, play around with stuff like that. Um, I think it's really easy to fall into the, I swing my sword, and I take three steps this mm -hmm. way, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a, if you're not playing with people who regularly are also RPing, what their character is doing in in a fight, you know. Um, I lucked out that this particular character in this in this game, there was another um, uh, there was another character who was like, so like I said, my character was a halfling. There was another character who was like a seven foot tall barbarian, and the two of them, for whatever reason, the two characters really clicked and really got along well, and so they spent a lot of time. 
um, sort of off-camera training together. Mm. And so what they did was um, there'd be times when, um, you know, uh, uh, my, the other character's name was Gunner, and it, we'd be in a fight, and my character would go, Gunner, shield! And he'd plant his shield, and she would run and, like, jump off it, and then, like, you know, come down cool, on cool. It, Like this... Yeah. Uh, People started referring. My character's name was Eda Bricks. People started calling her Yeda Bricks, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know that sort of became their thing. Was like you know she would figure out how to use his size to her advantage in a Love fight. It. And mm -hmm. you know I remember the first time she you know I, I used her in a way like that. And I was like, holy crap, this was mind blowing. <laughs> you know, mm. like all of a sudden having the ability to to do stuff like that in a game. So yeah. yeah. It's yeah. definitely worth talking about with your table, I think, to, you know, ask people, like, what's your comfort level with RPing? And, and yeah. are you willing to try it if you never have? And how do you want to, yeah. you know, I think yeah. it can really add a lot to the story. And it can really, in a weird, it's going to sound kind of weird to say it, but it can help sort of with character development in that way. Because you start to understand, mm -hmm. like, how are they going to think in combat? How do they move? Why does this decision, when they level up, make a tactical advantage for them you know, in their, you know, when they start fighting again and that sort of thing, you know, would it, would it make sense for them to have this if, if you're going to play them a certain way in a fight, does it make sense for them to take this kind of spell or this feat or this, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Good point. I think, um, so with, with combat and RP, um, I've had plenty of DMs in the past who've been like, well, you can't do that because the game mechanics don't really support it. Right? Yeah. Like, but um, there's this one DM that I had <clears throat> who, like, his whole tagline was, of course you can, you're a hero. Mm. And yeah. that really just liberated the players. Like, can yeah. I jump up and do a backflip and attack this guy from behind? He's like, of course you can, you're a hero. Can mm. I swing from that chandelier? Yeah, you're a hero, go for it. Mm. Um, that was the most liberating time that I've ever spent with the GM because it just meant, like, you could see people's wheels turning and clicking and, well, how can I make combat more fun? Uh, because the game mechanics are getting out of the way now. Yeah. And I think as a DM, we can do that for our players by just opening up that space. And, you know, it, even if the game mechanics don't support it, or it seems like it wouldn't be very uh, logical, um, right. we cast spells. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. In a world where magic happens, physics don't really matter. So yeah. let them do it. 90% of the stuff that players want to do is purely cosmetic anyway. It's, oh, can I, can I, you know, I want to do 30 foot of movement, but can I do a sick backflip while I do it? It's like, if there's a certain, like, stage as a DM or a GM that can seem scary, it's like, well, what if I say yes? And then they're going to try and use that for something else. And then there's this whole cascading thing that'll happen. And all of a sudden, I don't know what's happening anymore. But in reality, they're just like, they just want to add that flair, make it personal. And, like, it's the same thing for, like, Happens. I think ninety percent of the stuff that players want. There's like, oh, can this can this sword look like this? Even though that doesn't technically exist in five E, or can it be like you know, can yeah. it be a samurai sword, or can it be yeah. this kind of whatever weapon? It's like, there's always just let them do it. It's it's yeah. like as long as it doesn't affect the rules and any like even if it does affect the rules, as long as it's not like you know, it's it does like five D ten and instead of just a D ten right. now, it doesn't break anything. Well, that's um, or, the thing you just said, you know, you made a you make a, a point where you're like, can I, you know, can I, can I do a backflip when, 
you know, I go to move. Well, yeah, because odds are your backflip is going to be the same distance or shorter than your movement, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I got in an I got in an argument with some people. It was like kind of a TikTok thing where I was basically talking about like you can reskin like spells, like you can reskin them. Like say oh, yeah. you want your flames to be purple, or instead of fire damage, you wanted to do ice damage or X, Y, and Z. I got so many comments from like people online being like, well, you can't do it with the balance. I was like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Balance doesn't balance. matter. Yeah. D&D 5e is not a balanced game anyway. There is, yeah. like, once you've reached, like, level 10, all semblance of balance just is out the window. Yeah. Once so you if, realize... And they're like, oh, but, oh, go ahead. No, no, sorry, go, go, continue, continue. Because their, their main argument is like, oh, you can't change a fire spell. The reason the fire spell, do, like, fireball does so much damage because it's the most resisted type of fire, you know, damage. Like, a bunch of things are... That means nothing to the goblin. That means nothing right. to 90% <laughs> of all of the creatures in Dungeons and Dragons that aren't immune to like fire damage. So what does it matter if it's fire or cold? Yeah. It's like 90% of the time. And do, do, do you know what as well? Like when you realize that dwarves in D&D have a five foot vertical based yeah. on D&D jumping <laughs> rules, it's like they're jumping higher than every NBA player ever just 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 yeah. context that for dwarves can jump higher than every nba player ever so we're, we're already in the realm of freaking ridiculous you know what I mean? <laughs> but, like one of my favorite things that and you know this is because we love mma and we love martial arts and like fighting and stuff i think as well like if your world is not like avengers marvel level of like you know high fantasy kind of situation where everyone is you know combining magical powers to bring down the you know if you got some people like hand fighting and stuff i try and think about like as well like realistically in a fight if you like stab someone or you like shoot them with an arrow or you know you you punch them really freaking hard i'm like there's times where i'm like man dnd mechanics don't account for the fact if you walk up behind someone and like slash their neck it's like, oh, that's a uh, 1d4 damage, and, uh, and oh, he turns around and sees you now and alerts everyone because yeah. that's how this game works. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, there's moments like that where it's like, cool, if you're going to walk up behind someone and cut their throat, it doesn't matter how many HP they have. It just does not matter. Like, they're dead. They will die Road very slowly in the next, like, couple of minutes. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, knocking people over. Like, I'm like, if you kick someone, surely they move back. Like, a couple of feet surely like come mm -hmm. on now so that's one of the things that definitely bothers me i think the other it. thing i think one of the things that you do that that kind of tries to balance things is so if someone wants to do something that is over and above what would be accepted so someone does want to do the parkour off of the wall and jump on a ledge and then do a backflip you'll typically say sure let's do it but let's roll for it. And you're going to add a little bit of like, you know, there's, they're going to need to roll something decent yeah, to, yeah, to pull yeah. that off so that it's, 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 it's possible. Yeah. Just like in theory, in our world, it would be possible. I'm 56. It would be possible to do the parkour off of that wall and then like land on one foot and then do a bit of a, you know, a forward jump. I guess I could. It's a DC 25 roll That's for it. you, Tom. <laughs> DC 25 roll That's for exactly. you, Tom. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you, can, you can kind of balance the, you can kind of allow it, but make it make it a, as well, make it 
a, a satisfying reward if they actually nail the, the role mm -hmm. as well. So then it becomes, it's not just like, oh yeah, I'll allow it. And then to your point, Ryan, it becomes a slippery slope. Okay, well now you're gonna allow anything. So I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna do a triple backflip now. You like, know, people, people try shit and fail all the time. Yeah. What we're all <laughs> yeah, here yeah. doing all the time, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, my whole thing has always been, I'll allow it, but that also means that they're going to try to do that to you. Like, so yeah. the, the person who's like, I sneak up behind them and slit their throat, I'm like, yes, absolutely. But if someone gets behind you and does that, like when you're unarmed, then you're, then that's it. So, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I always do, but then that also then becomes, they become extra paranoid. Like whenever they rest, they <laughs> an alarm. Put my neck guard 3000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like back to the wall just the whole time. Yeah. And I do, and I do the same with like, I, I think they've been called like called shots. Like, oh, I'm fighting this creature. Mm. I want to shoot and aim for the eye. So like their armor is maybe 16, but if you hit, if you want to hit the eye, it's like 23 or whatever. Right. Like do something like that. But then I also have my, the, enemies go okay they're gonna try to like cut off your hand so uh what is your armor okay they only rolled a 17 so it's fine um but that also adds the level of danger of just like if you're gonna ratchet it up then they're going to to match it and to ryan's point of balance it's i've, I've never been interested in balance i think it's far more fun when either they think they're in for a big fight and they mop the floor with them or they think they're gonna mop the floor with them and then the first hit does does a 32 hit and they go oh uh, <laughs> we gotta go <laughs> and it's fun like i think that's a, that's that's the fun story like i think the perfectly balanced campaign or adventure rarely leaves opportunity or space for those memorable yeah. moments because it's like it's very it's played safe and i think the mm. i don't know i think when the creature bites off the arm that's that's memorable like that goes oh now we got to get that arm back or kill yeah. that thing to get like to yeah. go from there i think that's one of the reasons why people for a lot of people their battles are slogs they spend way too much time trying to make it it's like well it's evenly balanced this is a mm. tit for tat and when it's tit for tat like it just becomes whittling down each other's health until <laughs> one side remains and that takes forever right um such a good point because so. then it becomes if the if the enemy is really overpowered uh so jacob you're mentioning a fairy queen so my my yeah. one group fought a fairy queen because they they thought they that was their only option and and it, i don't think it was but it also it was not meant it was never going to be balanced um so now what they're working on is like they, they escaped that was fine they th that like does a 32 hit uh, completely applied and they went oh we we've screwed up um but now their approach is not we need to level up their approach is what advantage can we get so we can go back in like a week or two to level the playing field like yeah she had a bunch of guards how do we get to cut off the guards or how do we also then limit her so she can't hit us with a 32 she just can't hit us and i think that's far more interesting than just mm -hmm. that what's on my character sheet mm -hmm. solution so yeah balance is balance is boring for in, in my <laughs> opinion oh you're making me feel so much better about those items i mentioned earlier <laughs> yeah balance is overrated it's also an illusion i agree, I agree. Yeah. um it's an absolute illusion and, and like nobody nobody ever goes home and tells their friends like hey i had the most balanced game of <laughs> there's like oh, i had the greatest game like we did this that there, there or it's like oh we got completely wrecked like they never go home bragging about the just beautiful uh, balance <laughs> of that <laughs> giant encounter they had that was the night. nice most mellow balanced yeah. game i've ever played <laughs> Also, there's no standardized playtesting, like, you know, formula for this shit. Like, the people who are playtesting this are going, yeah, it feels right. Yeah, what do you, 
what do you think, Chris? Yeah, it feels good to me. You know, like that. That's Chris's and Perkins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like you know, that the, they're just having like you know general conversations. Like there's there's probably deeper metrics to it, but when you really think about it, it's a people's opinion at the like mm. like you said. Some people are like the fireball is you can't change that. That's cool. If if that's your opinion, cool. Then in your world, fireball is always fireball, and it's never ice mm. bowl or acid bowl or smoke bowl or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? And that's totally fine. Yeah. That's totally cool. Do your thing. But, you know, I think, yeah, man, you open it up. And, and, and I, I've got to say, Andrew, I love what you said about you. Whatever your players give to you, you got to dish it right back to them <laughs> and make them realize that, you know, the world bites back, baby. The world bites back. This is not, this is not just a walk in the park. You because know, a like 32 that. hit is the big thing. <laughs> like, it's the eye-opening, like, oh, shit. We, what did we just walk into? Yeah, right. moment, right? And I try to telegraph it. Like, there's no, there's no, I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to say there's no surprise, but like, you know, you walk into the queen's court, she's got a bunch of guards around. Like, this is, this is telegraphing, like, big boss battle setting mm. that you've decided to then uh, attack her during a, a, a ball. So, like, this is fine. Like, you've chosen to do this. And, and I, I think the, un, the, the, the lack of balance is also paired with clear communication like i try to make it very clear that like you know you're walking in this cave and then you see a bunch of bones and a bunch of like broken armor do you want to continue oh yeah absolutely i'm gonna i'm gonna put on some of that armor cool really nice yeah so so then by the time you get into the like six glowing eyes that you can only see in the dark like that's that's all there is then it's like oh maybe Maybe yeah. that was a sign back there of what was happening. <laughs> like this is this is our fault. I, I I try to make sure that my players never feel tricked into getting killed. Like I think it's it's I try to play it as fair as possible. Um, you players are literally that friend that we all have that gets into relationships and doesn't see the red flags that everyone yeah. else can <laughs> see around them and is like. I'm trying to tell you this, but you're just not seeing it. And, you just, and you're like, okay, well, here we are. Here we are. This, so is, this is on true. you guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we are uh, just under the five-minute left mark, believe it or not. So I want to give everybody a chance to go around again and uh, just remind us of who you are, where people can find you around the Internet, um, anything you have coming up that you want to share or anything uh, anything else that you would like to, to mention briefly. So um, we're going to go in the reverse order of when we started. So we're going to start with you this time, Andrew. <laughs> Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, so my name is Andrew Kolb. Uh, I'm Kolb is neat, most places online, um, like neat, like tidy. Um, and I illustrated uh, or, and then wrote an Oz and Neverland uh, setting book for, for 5e, but also like relatively system agnostic. One is a, dun or not a dungeon crawl, run is a, one is a hex crawl and one is a point crawl. So there we go. That's, that's what I got so far. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, I appreciate We're showing them this. Off this, is, for you. this is lovely. Um, Visual yeah, plugs are powerful. Me. Yes, I, and I appreciate Beautiful it. books, absolutely. Yeah, oh, they really are thank very you. cool. Thank you. Lots of fun to do. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out tonight. It was really great to get a chance to chat. My pleasure. This has been great. Yeah. Jacob. Yeah, so my name is Jacob Wood. Um, I'm the owner, the owner of Accessible Games. You can find me on Twitter at Accessible Games or my website, www.accessiblegames.biz. That's .biz or B-I-Z. Um, you can also find my zine, Accessible Gaming Quarterly, at accessiblegamingzine.com. 
and thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, it's been thank a blast. you for coming on. It was great to to finally get a chance to connect. Um, Jacob and I had been emailing back and forth for a little while, so it was nice to. It's always nice when I can put a face to people's email addresses and yeah. <laughs> and Twitter handles and that kind of thing. Um, so thank you, Tom and Bodie. <laughs> so I'm Tom. I'm the father of Homie and the Dude. We are at Homie and the Dude everywhere. Um, somehow that was uh, not very popular for other people to take down. I don't know why. Still not very popular. <laughs> uh, I'm Bodie, the, the, the son half of Homie and the Dude. We do TTRPGs and MMA. Um, if you enjoy any of that, come check us out. And we've got our upcoming Sky Zephyrs Kickstarter. Uh, we're going to change the game for uh, for vehicles in 5e, I promise you guys. So, so come check that out. Um, other than that, Luna, thank you so much. You guys are freaking all legends. Yeah, super and fun. Appreciate all of your perspectives <laughs> and you know, it's it's just been a great time chatting to all you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys for coming back. Thank and uh, I'm sure it's fairly late where you are right now. So I appreciate the uh, the extra hours in your day to come and hang out with us tonight. It's a pleasure. It's I, have, I have a, one quick follow up question for you. Which one of oh, you is I'm... homie, and which one is the dude? You're never gonna. You're never gonna know. Never gonna know. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually it. it is. It is seated in one of our. I don't early, know it's a one of our earliest videos. We yeah. mention it. So, All right, so there you go. You got to go back and look it, it up, everybody. If you <laughs> and uh, Ryan. Uh, yeah, so I am at DMG underscore run or the reverse of that, run underscore DMG on any most platforms. I think I'm on pretty much everything at this point. I make, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPG memes and different little funny things. Uh, just hot off of running some charity stuff. So if you you want to support the charity, it's basically over, but still maybe got a few more things. I have a cake to eat at some point, so keep tuned for that. Uh, but yeah, and this was so much fun, Luna. I have so much fun every time I come on to the, on Tales from the Tavern. It's always a blast. It's always great meeting new people. And y'all were just absolutely amazing. I just want to thank everybody for Agreed. being so great. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on and hanging out. Um, it was great to get a chance to catch up with you again and you know, yeah, hear more about what you've been up to lately. So awesome. Um, I am still Gamer Mom Luna, and this has been Tales Ooh. from the Tavern. We're here the first Sunday of every month, except next month, which is an extra special month because we are doing the Extra Life Charity Stream Weekend Extravaganza mm -hmm. uh, year Ooh. number three for that next uh, next month. So that will be the weekend following uh, the Independence Day holiday. So we'll be doing that from July 7th through July 9th. Um, starting July 7th, we will have um, a D&D game that Friday night um, streaming live. Uh, then let's see, we'll have three games on Saturday, two D&D games and one that will be Aether and Steamworks. Um, and then cool. Sunday the 9th, we will have uh, a Cypher game um, that will start at 11 in the morning that day. Um, and then we'll wrap it up in the evening with a very, very fun group of people on Tales from the Tavern. So we'll have two episodes next month, um, both uh, the first and second weekend of July. Um, so hopefully you'll stop by for that and check it out. Our goal this year, um, our first year was 2021. We raised just over $1,000. 2022, year two, we raised just over $2,000. So we figured why not uh, up it again and go for year number three and try to raise three thousand dollars so nice. uh so let's see if we can do that this year that would be pretty pretty darn epic um 
And uh, we've got some really awesome tables coming together for you all. Uh, Dungeon Glitch in chat, he's going to be DMing one of the 5e games that weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, B. Dave Walters is going to be stopping by for Tales from the Tavern that weekend. Um, it's going to be good. It's going to be a lot of fun. So. Uh, looking forward to seeing you all next month. Uh, you can stay tuned on all the Extra Life stuff on Twitter. I'll be posting stuff about that pretty soon. We are looking to still fill a few seats in some of the games. If anybody's interested, feel free to reach out. Uh, otherwise, we're going to drop a raid to Midwest Miniature Guy. Um, if you don't know him, uh, he paints minis and is fabulous at it so uh we're gonna go see him now and i hope you all have a lovely rest of your weekend i should go have a great night guys thanks guys Bye. thanks everybody later how about